Welcome into episode 99 of the Natural Hat Trick Podcast. Alongside Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Uh, Jamie Eisner is off feverishly playing miniature golf. Is that what he's doing today, Craig? Not sure. It's, it's ep- I, I don't want to embarrass him. Why not? You do when he's here. It's, uh, it's episode 99, which I, I think we can go ahead and say is the Wayne Gretzky episode. I don't know. Is there That's anybody fair. else? That's fair. Okay. His number is retired across the entire league. So. You know you're not wearing a uh, wireless mic this time, right? So I'm drinking water on air. Is that okay? Yeah, no. The listeners love that. Next really, time, I don't, I don't, I don't adhere to these rules that you <laughs> broadcast people like to impose on me. It's <laughs> just to point the picture. I'm about three inches away from the mic, and Craig is actually down the street, and he only gets close to the mic when he's drinking the water. <sighs> oh, that's awful for everybody. All right, so we're going to get into a a preview of two more teams today. We're going to look at the Winnipeg Jets as one of the teams, and then we are going to discuss the Boston Bruins. So that's coming up. First, however, I want to talk about something that we are doing here, FanRag Hockey. The email went Some out of you are doing a couple it. weeks Some of us ago. Trying to have a vacation. Yeah, no, no. by all means, go on another one that was only like three months long. Uh, we're doing the top 25 players under 25. And so this is going to, I don't know exactly when this is going to roll out, but we had to submit our ballots uh, last week, actually. And so there's three of us on the show. Uh, Jamie and Craig didn't take the time to do it, but I did. And I don't know the final results. I'm not going to like give that away because, A, I don't know, and B, I'm, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't like that. That would kind of kill all the su- suspense when they actually start releasing these stories. But I will say this, Craig, I found things interesting just putting together the top 25. This, this, our criteria was the top 25 players in the NHL that will not either be 25 by November 1st or you know be turning 25 in the next month or so or whatever. And I sat there and I looked at it and I'm like, oh, okay, well, this player will definitely be on the list, this player for sure. When you actually start to make the list... It's very time-consuming, and there are a lot of a lot of the best players in the NHL right now are under the age of 25. It was an eye-opening experience even for me. Shows you the direction of the league, uh, the issues that teams are having with the cap. There, there are a lot of factors at play here. You know, the cap's been largely flat the last couple of seasons, so you need younger, cost-certain players. Have we used that term before, cost-certainty? I feel like we have. Yeah, I think you said it was the buzzword in the NHL. I did, actually. And then we yeah. realized it was I'm two glad you words. remembered that. Yeah. Well, it's, it was so long stick. ago. Yeah. They're so impactful when I say them. The thing is, I listen, Craig. <laughs> I'm all about listening. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, there, there are a lot of talented young players who are getting an opportunity that they might not have been given in an earlier era of the NHL because of salary cap issues. Yes. And look, the speed game, it's become so much more important to get up and down the ice quickly uh, yeah, the game is changing, so those factors are at play here. Doing this show and, and coming up with this list in Phoenix, Arizona, on a team with a ton of young talent, my immediate thought was, oh, okay, well, there's going to be a lot of Coyotes on this list. Craig is holding up the number one, which I would assume is you feel like you are number one, or you well, would only have one on this that, list? That's assumed. Okay. So we don't need to. So we don't even need to yeah, no. point any attention to that? How many Coyotes would you have off the top of your head? You're thinking one. Who would it be? Max Domi. Okay. And, and that's essentially sort of how it broke down. You sit there and you think, okay, well, obviously Jacob Chikrin, uh, certainly Brendan Perlini. Uh, a year ago, you might have said Anthony Duclair. And, and maybe if we do this list again a year from now, it's very possible all three of those guys and or Christian Dvorak might join Max Domi on the list. But when you start to look at some of the players, like I'll just give you my top ten out of order, okay? 
just to give you a feel, and again, this is not the the website's top ten, but just a feel for who some of these these players are. You're talking about Mark Scheifele, Leon Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid, obviously, Patrick Laine, Matt Murray, Austin Matthews, Austin Matthews Nikita Kucherov, 40 goals last year, Johnny Gaudreau, Philip Forsberg, Jack Eichel, David Pasternak, who we're going to talk more about here coming up on the show today with Kevin Paul DuPont of the uh, Boston Globe. Dougie Hamilton's up around there as well. I mean, these are there's some good players in the top 25, and I'll tell you this. Making the list, I really struggled at the end. Like a guy like Alex Wenberg didn't even fit on my top twenty-five, mm. and he had forty-six assists last year. And there, there are a bunch of other names. You, you, you can keep going with this. Colton Pareko, Hampus Lindholm on my list. Brandon Saad, Sean Monahan, Jonathan Drouin. There are a ton of players that you can put on this list. You could go fifty deep. You absolutely could. I'll tell you what, Jonathan Drouin's a good one to bring up because he and Aaron Ekblad. And Nathan McKinnon were three guys I had a really hard time. I put them all on the list, all towards actually the bottom of my top 25, because I they are such wild cards. Mm-hmm. Nathan McKinnon, if you had done this list three years ago, would have probably been top five, because yeah. that was before McDavid and Matthews were in the league, and, and he was rookie of the year, and I mean, he had a great rookie season. He's dropped off considerably, partially because of the team he's on. Aaron Ekblad looked great his first year, and I know he's had some injuries, but it was kind of tough to fit him on there. And Jonathan Drouin... I think we'll be fine. But if you look at his numbers, they're nothing amazing yet. We're, we're operating on, on potential with Jonathan Drouin. Right. Yeah, that, and that's absolutely true. Because when you look at the, well, up until recently, his Tampa teammates, the, the, well, he did put up sort of similar production to, to Tyler Johnson and Andre Pilat. So you, you can see the upside there and you can, you can see the argument. But again, it, just, it was more about just so many players right on that bubble. Where do you have a guy like Alex Galchenyuk? Where do you have a guy like uh, Jacob Truba? Do you have those guys on your list? There, there are a ton of guys to consider here. And I'll tell you, one guy I did fit on my list, and I'm going to be interested to see if anybody else or how many other people do have him on there, is Ricard Raquel, who has 53 goals in the last two years for Anaheim and has missed 21 games in those two years too, and yet still 53 goals, 33 this past season. Not a big assist guy, but I do wonder if that's somebody that's going to crack anybody else's top 25. So a lot of, uh, a lot of different names a lot of good players will be left off that list. Mm. One thing that stood out, and this is a nice segue, because that's what I do, Craig. I segue things into uh, the, the team we're going to talk about today, the first team. There's three Winnipeg Jets on this list, and I think everybody's going to have three Winnipeg Jets on their list, because obviously Patrick Laine is going to be up there. Mark Scheifele, I had higher than Patrick Laine. I think Mark Scheifele is. I, I continue to think he's the most underrated star in the NHL. Yeah, he's definitely a number one center and on the cusp of joining that sort of franchise center mark. And he's improved, even statistically, if you just want to look at numbers, he's improved pretty uh, pretty noticeably every single year he's been in the NHL. And Nikolai Ehlers, I would imagine, is going to be on most people's lists as well. So Winnipeg, three, three players out of the 25 on these lists. So let's get into the Jets. One of the most... Is it fair to say enigmatic? I feel like that, that word's doubt. tossed around a lot, but this team doesn't make the playoffs. I don't get it. But, and that's the question. You know, we, we, we prepare these podcasts ahead of time. I know a lot of times it doesn't seem like we prepare anything based on the conversations <laughs> you hear, but we prepare questions for each other. And, and my first question for the Jets is, at what point do we stop calling this team an up-and-coming, a, a promising, a, watch out for this team. They're, they're a team to watch. They're on the rise. And what point do we start calling them disappointments? Because they keep missing the playoffs. And it's baffling when you look at... I mean, granted, their goaltending situation was a mess before this season. But you look at the rest of that roster, and it's really hard to figure. 
they have not won a playoff game since moving to Winnipeg. Uh, they never won a playoff series as Atlanta. Now, granted, those those teams in Atlanta were you know not as loaded with uh, high end young talent as as uh, as the Jets are now. Though Atlanta had some good players there for a while with Marion Host and some of those other guys. But Winnipeg right now with Patrick Laine, with Mark Shifley, with Nikolai Ehlers, uh, Laine was nearly Rookie of the Year in a year when Austin Matthews had one of the best rookie seasons we've ever seen. Mark Shifley, like I said, we've, we've averaged a point per game last year. He had 82 points last season. I think you could win a lot of trivia bets with that. And Nikolai Ehlers looked like the player that they expected him to be when they drafted him this past year, and yet they still didn't make the playoffs. Look at the blue line, too. There's, there's plenty of talent on that blue line. Seriously, Jacob Truba, Dustin Bufflin. We talked uh, on the last episode about how there are some teams that aren't on NBC at all this year. Winnipeg's a team that's not on NBC. It's not because they're not a fun team to watch. They just don't win enough, although they do beat Chicago consistently. <laughs> it's, it's one of thank the weirdest you, thank things. Thank you for reminding me. Well, you know, i I got I to gotta be so, accurate. So with this team, is Steve Mason actually the answer? Or is, is there? Maybe we're about to find this out, and I'm not sure Steve, Steve Mason is the guy to step in there. And if he doesn't have success, you say, oh, well, it, it wasn't the goaltender after all. I'm not, I'm not sure he's that caliber of no. player. But, you know, we've, we've heard for so long that, that goaltending is the issue. Is it or is there a, a greater underlying problem here? That kind of leads into one of my questions of, of how long is the leash on Paul Maurice. He's been the coach since January of 2014. So you're like, okay, well, that's not even four years. It also makes him the third longest tenured coach in the NHL, which should make you say that's insane. On that note, on a side note, I did this research. I was doing a story on uh, you know the new coaches in the NHL this season, which one is best set, set up for success. There are only seven coaches in the NHL that have coached more than two seasons. <laughs> with, with their current teams, yeah. yes. That's, That's absurd. That's insane. I don't know which one of those stats we just threw out is, is more ludicrous. I think yours might actually be. I mean, it, it's there's no other sport where you could be coaching a team for three and a half years and be the third longest tenured in your entire sport. There's 31 NHL teams now. But the fact that only seven have coached with their current teams for more than two years, there's just the hot seat in the NHL is basically on everybody except like Joe Quenville and Mike Sullivan. And Sullivan's only been a coach for a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, right. It, yeah, and it, when, you, when you look at the start dates, it, aside from Joe Quenville, nobody has any kind of tenure at all in the NHL right now. John Cooper is now the second longest tenured coach in the league. I want to make sure I got that right. It's, yeah, May, May of 2015, Dave Axel was hired for the Flyers, so yeah. only seven coaches have been on the job longer than 2015. It's, it's insane. It's, I've never seen anything like it, and I think that speaks to the maybe impatience around the league. I don't know if patience, right? It, I mean, I don't know if it's just from ownership or if it's from fans or whatever it is. And, and I, I would assume it's easier to cut ties with your coach after two or three years when you see everybody else in the league doing it anyway. But it does make me wonder how long the leash is for Paul Maurice if that team starts slow out of the gate. I mean, yeah. you got to think now. The last couple of years, we've looked at the Central and said this is the toughest division in hockey. That wasn't the case last year, and now it's also the only division in hockey that only has seven teams. All the other divisions have eight teams with Vegas joining the Pacific. So I think it's a big deal for Paul Maurice that Winnipeg starts pretty well this year. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I would not have any more patience when you look at what, what you've got there. And, and now that you think you – well, you, you hope you've addressed your goaltending situation, at least an improvement over what you've had. You have to see, you have to see this team stop giving up so many goals, so many scoring chances, so many shots. They have to show a greater commitment to defense than they are, 
and th- and you know, that has to come from the head coach, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And and I didn't mean to glaze over your question earlier because I think it's probably the most pertinent question when you talk about the Jets. If I'm Winnipeg, I'm looking at my team, and especially in an offseason where there were so many goalies available, whether it was via trade or free agency or whatever, nothing against Steve Mason, but he's been about as inconsistent as Winnipeg just in general. I mean, he really fits. It's it's almost like this is the team he should be on. He was Rookie of the Year back in 2009. Uh, He's had some good years, but he's had some really bad years as well. Like last season with Philadelphia, 2.66 goals against average, a 908 save percentage. You know, nothing that's not terrible, but it's not great. Like Ben Bishop was available. Marc Andre Fleury. That's, that's what I was just going to ask you. If if you're in that situation, don't you take a look? Would you have taken a look at those guys over Steve Mason? Maybe they did, maybe they weren't able to work that out. But does Steve Mason really feel like the answer to clearly Winnipeg's greatest problem? No, I would have just I mean me, I assume Connor Hellebuck is still the answer in net down the line. He didn't play well at all last year, but he looked good the year before. He's very young. Uh, with a team like Winnipeg, with the talent they have, you know, it's one thing to go out and say, okay, well, we need a goaltender. Let's go all in on Ben Bishop. If the rest of your team isn't that good, then you know maybe there's some risk there. If you go all in on Ben Bishop as the Winnipeg Jets, and like you said, maybe they did and it just didn't work out. If Winnipeg has Ben Bishop right now, they're definitely a playoff team, and they're kind of a dangerous playoff team. Yeah, because your, your goaltender can get hot and carry you a little bit. But, yeah, if this team doesn't make the playoff, well, like you said, I think they have to get off to a hot start. If this is a team that really struggles out of the gate, I can see Paul Maurice definitely being on the hot seat. The fourth longest tenured coach in the NHL, by the way. Mike Babcock oh, is top whatever. ten. Mike Babcock is top ten. He's been in Toronto for I mean, how, two how years. How long ago was that story? We were talking about, oh, my God, Mike, Mike Babcock's going to Toronto. They're rebuilding in Toronto. He's, he's in the top ten. We were talking about that on this podcast, and this podcast hasn't even been going for two years yet. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously we're going to do this podcast for at least you know, 50, 60 years. But, uh, but yeah, when we were talking about that, Craig's uh, rolling his eyes at me. I'm confident I'll be around that long. Uh, you're still special guest Craig Morgan. Okay. Uh, you talked about that blue line. Dustin Bufflin, Tyler Myers, Jacob Truba. Some interesting pieces back there. Dmitry Kulikov. One of the more controversial signings this uh, summer. He gets $4.3 million a year for the next three years. Uh, the, I call that the Winnipeg bonus. That's That was an odd Here's one. Here's the extra money we're going to give you for coming to Winnipeg. Pretty much. That's how it is. I, I distinctly remember Greg Wyshynski, who we've had on this podcast now, uh, of Puck Daddy, basically wrote a story asking... Why? Why Dmitry Kulikov? What did he do in the last two years that makes you want to sign him? And he was just slammed by Winnipeg Jets fans that uh, that he just doesn't understand the value of Dmitry Kulikov and this and that. I'm not saying Dmitry Kulikov is a bad defenseman, and Winnipeg doesn't need him to be elite because they've got so many other pretty good up-and-coming defensemen. But you're paying him a decent amount, so that's kind of a, a swing guy all of a sudden just based on how much you're paying him. Again, in a perfect world, you allocate that money to Ben Bishop or a goalie like that, and you just kind of get by with another defenseman. But we'll see. That's something I'll be watching now. Yeah. Winnipeg is a is a troubling thing. Let's let's talk about the positive angles of the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, what do you what do you expect to see from Patrick Laine in year two? What can he do to top what he produced in year one? Did he have thirty six goals last year? He's, I think he was a fun player to watch. But let's let's play this game over under thirty nine and a half goals for Line A this year, and and we're assuming health. 
assuming health, I think he tops it. I think he does too. Yeah. I mean, it's not inconceivable that he leads the NHL in goals this year. Mm. Right? He would have uh, also looked good in a Coyotes uniform. Yeah, that's the great, uh, that's sort of the overlooked aspect of the Coyotes. Yeah, just not winning the lottery. How about just finishing top two? Look at the players they could have had at number two each of those years. Do we want to go down this path? Uh, I feel like we need to go down this it's path. Depressing. No, uh, we don't need to talk about Jack Eichel, but we can talk about the fact that when Winnipeg got bumped up to pick second mm-hmm. and, and draft Patrick Line, who was the clear number two, the Coyotes would have taken him as well. That year, Winnipeg's record was 35, 39, and 8. The Coyotes' record was 35, 39, and 8. So you want to talk about the ultimate slap in the face? I know people wanted Matthews because he's from here, and I personally feel like they deserved McDavid more than the Oilers because that was the worst Coyotes team they've had. I mean, that yeah, was the Oilers should have been barred from picking number one. <laughs> but the one to me that's the biggest slap in the face is Line A because you had the exact same record as the team that moved up five or six spots to get him. Yeah, and and not like Winnipeg did anything with skill to move up. They just no, they got lucky and you didn't again. Again, that's that's definitely the overlooked. Uh, the overlooked slap in the face to the Coyotes from yeah. Lady Luck the last couple of years. Yeah. I think we've sidetracked ourselves, haven't we? Uh, what about Kyle Connor? What about some of the prospects the Jets still have? Are we going to see him this year? He's he's an, he's the Jets have drafted well. I don't I don't mean to make this sound like they've gotten lucky all these years. They were just very fortunate to get Patrick Laine, but to get Mark Shifley where they did, uh, to get Kyle Connor where they did. They've they've still got some decent young players on the way up, and also. Maybe this is a place to look for next season. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six. Nine players on their team are going to be RFAs next year. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting year. And I mean, when you look at the roster right now, it, it, I mean, when you're talking about a player like Kyle Connor, he may get a look this year. Yeah. It does feel like they're pretty set, though, doesn't it? It does. In terms of their forward lines. This this team should be a playoff team they with the pieces they have in front. Team. There's just no more excuses. So you 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 may need to make a change. I mean, if they got off to a hot start, it's it's immaterial. But if you may need to make a change simply to say, okay, enough. We need to go. We need to just jolt this team somehow with a change. But of course, they did that not too long ago with Paul Maurice. And it <laughs> yeah, it work. doesn't feel like it, it was worked that for long a very ago. short period of time. But yeah, uh, here's a list of some of those RFAs. Adam Lowry. Okay. Joel Armia, that's fine. Nikolai Ehlers is yeah, going to command some money. Deal. Uh, Marco Dano, uh, Jacob Truba, Connor Hellebuck, if he really is your goalie of the future. Yeah. There's there's some some fairly big pieces of the puzzle in Winnipeg that are going to be RFAs yeah. next year. Nikolai Ehlers is a guy that's obviously a part of their future. I'm really the guy I'm most curious about more so than Connor Hellebuck is is Jacob Truba because he's been on the trade block for like the last two years. I, not sure I understand it entirely, but that would be a that would be an attractive piece for a lot of teams. A, a young player who's still going to have probably significant cost certainty. Yeah, cost certainty. Did I say that? Again? Uh, are you getting paid the by password the password? Is cost certainty? Every time you hear Craig say cost certainty, I don't know. Go drive a Zamboni or something. I don't. I don't know what sort that's, of game we can have. That's one of those pieces that if he moves, he can change the complexion of another team. And I think you get a lot back if you're the Jets. I mean, if you're not making the playoffs this year, if, if it gets to that point at the trade deadline, I think you, you probably see Jacob Truba moved for some pretty good haul back. So that could be something to watch. Uh, maybe we'll put him second on our NHL trade deadline watch here in July behind James Neal because we know James Neal is getting <laughs> traded. James Neal was only you – know, Vegas only acquired him to trade him at the trade deadline. <laughs> All right, anything else on Winnipeg, or should we get to Kevin Paul DuPont to talk about the Boston Bruins? Let's move on to Kevin. All right.
All right, we're joined now by Kevin Paul DuPont of the Boston Globe. You can find him on Twitter, at GlobeKPD, to talk about the Boston Bruins. And we got a lot we want to ask you, Kevin, but I think we have to start with the most pressing issue. When you just look at the Bruins roster, we see a 70-point guy that's not signed yet in David Pasternak. So what can you tell us about that situation? Well, I just spoke with Don Sweeney, and he's he's frustrated. But for the first time, he said he was the... uh, they were further along in negotiations. He called it a holding pattern. So they are three months past the end of their season. So all May, June, and July have passed now, and they've been unable to get to a unable to get to a number. So I think you know it's the same old story: ter- term and, and amount. And I uh, I suspect what Jack is looking for here is is a five or six year deal at six million bucks or better. And uh, you know they're I assume at this point. Because <laughs> we go with assumptions uh, that they're unwilling to get there. You know, they'd, they'd be thinking more, and maybe have a bridge at a couple of years at four and a half. You know, high fours. So he's going to get his money. Uh, he does not have Arbrights. They, you know, they came to a deal last week with Ryan Spooner uh, on a one-year deal, and Spooner had Arbrights. So he's a talented kid. You guys, you guys know the drill here. They, he is because he's an RFA they're vulnerable to another team walking in and handing them an offer sheet, but we, we, we rarely, if ever, see those. Uh, I, I, I suspect it's going to come down to we, they, they crunch the numbers harder, come up with a bridge deal, or he decides that he wants to sit out. Kevin, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see that as very practical. Kevin, what are the merits on either side of that argument, from, both from, the, from David's camp and then from the Bruins' camp? Merits to what? To, to each his argument, to each his stance on where they'd like those numbers to be. Well, you know, the, 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 the validity, if you will, from their standpoint is he's a guy who's only done it one year. He's three years in the league. It's his second deal. Uh, and they, they would prefer not to fit him in with the likes of uh, Bergeron and Marchand, you know, the, the guys who are, who are making that kind of money, Crunchy and other. Uh, they got their money. They got it over time. Uh, they have a higher profile on the team, and they have, to be frank, uh, more of a track record. But if you look around the league and you know the whole host of names, there are a lot of guys who get it, get it in their second contracts, and they get it at age 21, 22. And if you're J.P. Barry, uh, certainly that, that's where you're looking to strike this. And, and against the market, uh, he certainly has it. He, he, he would he would have it in an arbitration discussion. Obviously, he doesn't have those rights. Uh, so, you know, middle ground. As I'm talking here, maybe they get to a two-year deal. Then he's got arbor rights, and then he can hit his home run. How vulnerable do you think they are to an offer sheet here, which, as we know, rarely happens in this league? But could somebody yeah. actually step in and, and and get him, or would they likely match whatever offer is made to him? Well, they would match. The last time we saw this here was a few years ago now, time passes. Phil Kessel, they, they had that concern that Toronto would walk in with, a, with an offer sheet for Phil Kessel, and Brian Burke made it quite, quite uh, blatant to Peter Shirelli at the time. Because of course, Brian Burke was then the GM in Toronto, that, you know, that they could do that, they would do it. Rather than do that, how about we strike a deal? And they ended up handing over two, two first-round picks for Phil Kessel, one of whom turned out to be... Uh, so, and the other one was Dougie, Dougie Hamilton. So, uh, they got two very good picks out of it. They got two very good picks. 
Rangers don't want to do it because if they go out and make that offer and they land the they land the player, the road to having that the, the tables turned on them that way. That really is the definition of collusion, is it not? Uh, <laughs> so it's it it is the league's so rarely happen. I I don't see it in this case, and I don't see the player deciding. In this case, David Pasternak. I don't see David Pasternak deciding he's going to sit out the year. But they lost that opportunity to play hardball with Hamilton. So they, they, they were in a similar position uh, on this case uh, a few years ago with Dougie Hamilton. Dougie Hamilton said he didn't want to play in Boston, and, and frankly, they accommodated him and moved him to Calgary. Uh, I think in retrospect, you know, Don, Don Sweeney was uh, just on the job as general manager. He made the deal quickly. I think in retrospect, the lesson there is, you know what, if you've got a player who says he doesn't want to play or can't come to terms on money, which was not the case with Hamilton, because what Boston offered was what Hamilton got in, in Calgary. But either, either of those scenarios, doesn't want to play here or doesn't want to play for the money you're offering, I, I, my, my read of the tea leaves here is they might play hardball with that player now, in this case David Pasternak, say, fine, sit out. And uh, and see what happens when that pressure is on. Kevin, what's uh, what's the thought on, on Bruce Cassidy? Just twenty seven games as head coach of the Boston Bruins. Obviously, they like him enough to bring him back. But what's uh, what's the general consensus on on the job he's done and what he can do with them going forward? Well, it's a whole different approach. He came in at the start of February. They finally they let uh, Claude Julien go after ten years, and and uh, it was uh, the the turnaround was dramatic in terms of how they had played up until that point in early February. Uh, they went on a very good run with, with uh, Cassidy. I keep calling him Butch because everybody calls him Butch. But <laughs> Bruce. And they, they got on a really good run. Uh, and frankly, I think if they'd stayed healthy, uh, they got really dinged up on defense in the playoffs and got dinged up before the playoffs began. I think if they'd had their full defensive complement, they, they would have gotten by Ottawa in the second round. So... Uh, I would say it was it was clearly a different system, not as defensive-minded, uh, challenging players to show what they can do in the offensive end, which was not the case here. As much as I like Claude and his system was successful, it was very defensive-oriented, at times extremely boring. But as I've said a million times over the years, uh, winning has its own beauty, and they won a cup, the final under Claude, so there's, there's really no test. But this is this is a more exciting version. I think younger players are more eager to play within the system. Doesn't necessarily mean you win with it, but and uh, and so much of the way the league has gone in these last five, six, eight, ten years is to youth and speed, uh, creativity. Uh, they've got a good goaltender in Rask. They can take those chances on offense. So I, I the. the Again, it's it's basically a half a season and one round of playoffs, but it was a very different uh, approach to the game uh, from a reporting standpoint, very different too, because uh, Cassidy will go on and on. You ask him questions, he'll keep answering them, and he, and he really fills them out. Uh, that was not Claude. Claude was a minimalist in terms of his responses uh, and, uh, and kept a, kept, I would say, kept as close control on what he talked about as he did in terms of how he coached the team. This, this is much different. This is, this is uh, go with kids, give, the, give them the chance, and, and let's see where it leads. 
Well, along those lines, and you already mentioned the blue line, the injuries they suffered last year before the postseason. Yeah. What is the feeling about the blue line? I, I, I saw some threads out there that felt that they needed to add to this blue line. But it, does it look like they're going to stand pat? They have thus far. They lost Colin Miller, obviously. Is it just a, an attitude of letting more of these young guys progress? Yeah, and frankly, that's through necessity. I, I thought they might go out and, well, they, they did. They, they looked around at the trade deadline to beef up, to beef up the defense. Uh, they, they looked in the offseason. They were really looking at, you know, a, a second-pairing defenseman and a, and a second-line winger. They, they, they got neither in terms of free agency or trade. So, yes, right now, it, it stand, pat, stand pat on both those counts. Uh, they, they think they... You know, with Charlie McAvoy, if you follow that story, Charlie mm-hmm. McAvoy was their star pick, uh, first-round pick of last year, had a really strong uh, year, uh, second year at BU, and uh, they, they signed him. Now, that said, they signed him, and they didn't want him to play, but because of the necessity of getting dinged up on the blue line, they had to, and he, he, he stepped in and played admirably. He played extremely well, especially for a game, one NHL game. He stepped in. He was getting 27, 28, sometimes more minutes a night and handled them well. Uh, I think if, if there was any criticism is that he didn't shoot uh, enough. Sometimes he didn't shoot at all, and he, he does have a pretty good shot. But, again, I've, I've seen those rookie, if you will, not rookie blues, but rookie tendencies, especially among the more talented kids, to lay the puck off rather than take their chances. I think that'll be one of the first things they, they make uh, make clear to Charlie McAvoy in training camp here is if you've got that shot, let it go. So he he could grow into, well, he could grow right into a first pairing based on what we saw in the playoffs. Uh, so he may be that impact guy. As you know, uh, they've had Zidane Chara here for a lot. He came in with uh, Peter Chiarelli. So we're talking 10 years here that uh, Char has been the anchor of that blue line. He is 40 years old now. Uh, you know, he would not agree with this assessment that it's time for him not to play. <laughs> I think most people feel that way. Uh, you know, they, they, they took all of his power, pay, power play responsibility and time away last year. Um, and he's a guy who wants to play all situations. He, he wants to play another two or three years in this league. He's got this one year remaining with the Bruins. It wouldn't surprise me if they extended him after this year, depending on, you know, how does he, uh, lack of a better word, integrate with with what they're doing, the kids they're bringing up, all of that. So uh, it's in transition. It would be much easier about them being in transition if they really did have a viable, experienced second, uh, second unit defenseman. I, I didn't understand. They were very quick last year, June of 16, to uh, give uh, Dennis Seidenberger's walking papers in terms of a buyout. That, that, that really surprised me. And Seidenberg had a very good year of the Islanders. So I think in retrospect, had they known that, I think they would have had a lot. Uh, Kevin, you mentioned Charlie McAvoy. You guys have another pretty good young defenseman back there as well, Brandon Carlo. How does his uh, game and and potential upside compare to that of McAvoy's? It's a very good point, very good question. I I, I was very impressed with McAvoy. He walked in last year as a raw rookie, uh, played extremely well, came out a junior, uh, was not a first-round pick. There was that year 
the years tend to blend in for me now, but in 15, they had three first-round picks. He was their first pick in the second round, so not as highly touted, but, boy, he played well. He, he's a big kid. He skates extremely well. Uh, he was really cast in a very defensive, uh, narrow role much of the year as Chara's partner, as a shutdown guy. I think he's got more skill than that. I think he, he can contribute. I'm not saying he's going to be a, uh, well, let's pick a number here, 15, 30, 45 guy, but I think, I, think he could, I think he could be a 35, you know, 30, 35 easily because he's got such wheels. If, if, if they want to push the envelope here on, on D, it's to push him more into the offense, give, give him some charges from the back end, uh, he's got that ability to get back if, if he has to. So uh, I think everyone's looking at McAvoy as more charismatic, bigger toolkit, uh, uh, more courage, if you will, uh, or willing to attempt more plays. But it wouldn't surprise me here, especially that they give Carlo more rope or in him. I wanted to touch on a few other odds and ends, uh, starting with uh, one of their major off-season acquisitions. Uh, how did the David Backus experiment work out after one year? Uh, I, I give it a do uh, It'd be one thing if they brought in David Backus on, say, a three-year, $12 million deal and is a guy, a you know, senior citizen, if you will, uh, senior citizen by today's games, 31 years old. But... Experience, a lot of miles on the odometer. Um, that'd be one thing, but they gave him five years, thirty million dollars. He was really, he was their their big ad last year in free agency, and this is after really misfiring in my mind uh, with uh, Matt Bolesky the year before. So they've they've had back to back pricey acquisitions in UFA. They had none this summer, and I think some of it is being a bit gun shy. I think they would have liked to have gotten rid of Bolesky this summer. Uh, Back, Backus obviously offers more. He's got a leadership component to him. He's got he's got a he's a big body. Uh, I'm I'm not saying this is entirely wasted, but they, they they you know they spent they spent a money and they got gentlemen see results. Uh, if, if you know now he's going to be a year older. He's going to be on year two of five. I think what they've got to do here, and this is part of the part of their thinking, is. And infuse the forward lines with two or three young draft players that they've, they've cultivated, Jake DeBrusque being one of them. Uh, they've got another kid, Sinitian, who's very fast. I don't know if he's ready. So maybe they can integrate some of these younger kids, take some of the, the tougher minutes away from Bacchus, and let them thrive more. I'm not saying third and fourth line, but situational hockey, uh, be it power softer matchups on D and maybe see him exploit it more. Also, can't, can't discount, he did have a concussion last year. And as much as, you know, it's easy, it's easy to brush those off when you're not living it day to day, but I think that did have some, some impact on him and his game. Uh, Kevin, is Jacob Forsbacka Carlson expected to have an NHL role this year, or are they still sort of taking a wait-and-see approach with him? They say he's ready. I only saw him in a game. Uh, I saw him in a game, and then I see him in the room, you know, out of gear. Uh, he's, he's really got, I would say, a, a young college body. Uh, I th- I, I'd be surprised, and, and I'd be pleasantly surprised, if he came in here and, and really see 
like to me, he looks like a kid who's going to need a, a year, year and a half in uh, the American League. He, he does have he does have talent. Thinks the game well. You, but as you guys know, it's a vast difference between NCAA and this league, and fill out on 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 the strength the strength aspect of his game. Uh, Kevin, one of the keys to the Bruins' success this year, last season was the special teams. Um, you expect that to keep up? I mean, a lot of the personnel still there, obviously. And how vital is that to this team's success? Well, it is for every team, right? Uh, yeah. You got to have a good, you got to have a good power play. You got to have a good kill. Uh, on, on the kill side, the, the kill thing is, is 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 a fairly easy factor to keep sustained, I think, because it, it really does come down to work ethic and try. Uh, and I think especially with, with the young legs they've got in the mix, if, if some of these kids make the team, and, and part of that is on the strength of their strength and willingness to play on the PK, I, I think they'll be okay there. But that, that said, I will add, Dominic Moore was a key component to the PK for them, and uh, they decided not to offer him, and he, he went off, and he's playing for the same money, one year at a million dollars in Toronto. So I know he's old, but he was, he was smart. Good on the draw and, and good on the PK. I, I count of money. Uh, the power play, I, I, I think they. Well, I mean, it, it, <laughs> at times I've seen them struggle so badly here on the power play. It was finding it hard to believe they were so good. Um, uh, I, I think w- whether they can put up a really good number, and number to me is to be in the top six to eight teams in the league. That's really going to come down to first and foremost: do they get Pasternak back? And uh, I think if, if he's back, they've still got some really good components. And you'll see McAvoy on the back end. I think is is one of their principal, if not the principal, uh, point men for the for the power play. So uh, I'd say they're they're in good shape there. You, you can never be good enough, uh, but uh, if you look at Bergeron's skill, if you look at uh, Marchand's skill. Uh, back us if they if they want to play that big body in front. They, they've got some good components there. Kevin, this was fun. Very insightful. Thanks for the time, and uh, enjoy the rest of the offseason, okay? All right. Check in with me again as we go along. Sounds, Sounds good, good, Kevin. Thanks we'll for joining that. us. That's Kevin, okay, Paul, Kevin Paul DuPont of the Boston Globe, again on Twitter, at GlobeKPD. We didn't really have to ask him about Patrice Bergeron because you know what he's going to do every year. He'll get you a decent amount of points and win the Selkie. And, it's just and, sort of assumed they, they really should rename the trophy. Does anybody know who Frank J. Selke is? Well, I will tell you this. This is not a joke. If you type in Selke Trophy, mm-hmm. the first thing that comes up on Google is Patrice Bergeron's picture. <laughs> it's not even a joke. It's not even Selke. His picture doesn't come up during, <laughs> if you search for it. So uh, Boston's kind of an odd team because mm. you forget that they they did make it into the playoffs last year, and they were one of those teams. You're like, oh, they probably would have beat Ottawa if they were at full strength. And then who knows how different the Eastern Conference? I don't know. It's just- I, I don't know. You, you say that, but but it was a young D. They they were banged up on defense. That's true. But it was a young D. Would they've gotten past Ottawa? I don't know. But, but that that bracket, as we saw, no, it was uh, it was a really good bracket to get to the conference final. So one of those teams was going probably going to be feeling really good about itself. And the Ottawa Senators had the advantage of playing a team that was banged up. But I don't know if they're. Like if you look at their blue line, Brandon Carlo, Charlie McAvoy, you see you see a team on the rise. But when I look at that team, 
it wouldn't shock me if they missed the playoffs this yeah. year. Yeah, a lot of question marks back there. A, a blue line that would look really good with Dougie Hamilton on it, by the way. Well, yeah, We've said we, this a hundred times. We've said that about a few different teams, actually. Center position would look good with Tyler Sagan, too, but hey. Are you feeling Why in for Jamie today? You're basically <laughs> making Jamie's comments. I'll tell you what, their, their forward lines, their top six would look really nice with David Pasternak, too. they got to get that deal done. And, and this is the perfect example. I would not be a well-liked GM because I would be offer-sheeting David Pasternak because I, I wonder if you might not be able to get him. And a right wing like that that, again, put up 34 goals and 70 total points last year, there's not a lot of them out there. Yeah. So it, Kevin's saying they'd match any offer. That's going to put Boston in an interesting cap situation. It's not, it's not going to put them over the cap, but do they want to be, you know, a team that's among the top handful of clubs in, in terms of spending? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But, yeah, I, I wish we'd see more of this. You know, you hear GMs say so often that they will use every tool at their disposal to improve their team, yet they never use this tool. We yeah. never see this happen. And there's some, especially this year. This I is mean, a good year for RFAs. Yeah. Really nice. If they're not going to offer sheet guys this year, they're not ever going to do it, even though you're starting to hear whispers that they're going to start to do it more and more. Well, next year's RFAs, I'm guessing, aren't going to be as good as – Ryan Spoon or not Ryan Spooner, David Pasternak and Leon Dreisaitl and some of these other guys we've yeah. seen floating around out there this year. Interesting take too on Zdeno Chara, who is forty, and I, you know, I made the assumption he's in the last year of his contract. Okay, the Bruins let him play it out. Interesting to hear them talking about maybe extending him. Now, is it, I suppose a lot of that depends on role and and the kind of contract he's going to take, which you would assume would be minimal. It would be a one year deal and not a heck of a lot of money for a forty year old defenseman, but. Don't you, I mean, if this is your, what, what does he bring at this point other than maybe that experience? Don't you at some point want to move on from it? It, it sort of looks like the Bruins are trying to do that anyway, so I, I'm not sure why you'd bring Zdeno Chara back at this point. Are you going to tell Zdeno Chara to retire? No, I, I would not be the one to deliver yeah, that exactly. message. Yeah, exactly. That's, no, that's, no, uh, I'd, that's I'd have a, my assistant do it. It's like the episode of Seinfeld where they force Kramer to tell Raquel Welch yes. she's, uh, she's done. The, I, uh, I would suit him up in pads and then send him into. Deliver the news. <laughs> okay. All right, that's going to do it for us. Uh, I believe Jamie Eisner will be back from his sabbatical in Turks and Caicos next week. So for Craig Morgan, since he was actually here, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to episode 99. Next week's episode 100, Craig. What are we going to do? We hadn't really thought about it, had we? We should have planned something. Some of us have. Flying by the seat of our pants. Well, you've got a week to come up with okay, something. I will. All right, thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.